Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. What do you think of when you hear the term Catwoman? Meow. Now, what do you envision when we say Cat Lady? <laughs> From one extreme to the other, Catwoman is a sexy supervillain, while the Cat Lady has a long history of being the end of the line for the spinster, a world full of crazy and questionable hygiene. Today, we're presenting the case in defence of cat ladies to find out why they've been given the titles of lonely and unstable and how we can reclaim it for all the cat ladies to come. We've all seen her in movies, TV shows, books, magazines. Basically, every media that has ever existed has at one stage given space to the trope of the crazy cat lady. From Audrey Hepburn's Holly Go Lightly and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Poor old cat. Poor slob. To cat-obsessed Angela from the US version of The Office. She's a third-generation show cat. How much? $7,000. For a cat? I could get you a kid for that. And of course, there's The Simpsons' iconic version. People say she's crazy just because she has a few dozen cats. Even the origin story of the super sexy anti-hero and sometimes love interest of Batman, Catwoman, is based in crazy cat lady territory. The character's co-creator, Bob Kane, said this about the reason she's a cat at all. I felt that women were feline creatures and men were more like dogs. While dogs are faithful and friendly, cats are cool, detached and unreliable. I felt much warmer with dogs around me. Cats are as hard to understand as women are. Men feel more sure of themselves with a male friend than a woman. You always need to keep a woman at arm's length. We don't want anyone taking over our souls, and women have a bit of a habit of doing that. He goes on to say that once the romance is over with a woman, they somehow never remain his friends. I think you may have pretty much answered your own question for yourself there, Bob. In ancient Egypt, the goddess of domesticity, childbirth and women's secrets, Bastet, is half human, half cat. The Chinese goddess Li Shao, a symbol of fertility, is also a cat. And Freya, the Norse goddess of beauty and strength, rode a chariot pulled by, you guessed it, cats. So when did these amazing cat women turn into the cat lady trope of the single middle-aged or elderly crazy lady? Cat lady Adrian says she's so sick of hearing about the cat lady stereotype and the implications it has about who she is and what her future holds. Call me crazy... Call me a cat lady. But if you call me a crazy cat lady, you're in trouble. Since I'm both single and a lover of cats, people have been calling me a crazy cat lady for a very long time, and it never gets any less irritating. Maybe one day I'll meet a cat dad and we'll be one happy cat family. But by calling me a crazy cat lady, people are really telling me I'm going to die all alone 
a spinster with no man to hold my hand. Well, I'm not going to die alone. I'm going to die with my cute, cuddly, clever, and very caring cats. And there's nothing wrong with that. Will McKeithen is an instructor at the University of Washington. Their research interests include queer feminism, environmental justice, biopolitics, and mass incarceration. Will, where does the cat lady stereotype come from and why does it endure? There's a really old association, I think, between women and cats in Western culture, in European and colonial cultures. That goes pretty far back. I mean, I think there's a pretty obvious association to the sort of demigration of women by associating them with witches and cats as witches familiars. What I find really interesting just about the crazy cat lady, though, is that as as a sort of derogatory term and kind of a pop culture figure really gained a lot more popularity in the 90s. So even though I think the idea of calling someone a cat lady has probably been around, honestly, probably as long as cities have been around, just because, it, you know, you think of it as someone who has a lot of cats in a sort of urban or suburban space, right? Like someone who has 50 cats on their farm isn't really the stereotype. So it's probably as old as, you know, Western cities in the 1800s. but it really became popular in the 1990s. And the good question is, right, like, why the cat lady now? Why does it become popular when it becomes popular? I think it's a couple things. One, the sort of fallout of second wave feminism in the 60s and 70s, and more and more, especially middle class women, and maybe especially white women, leaving the house, right? Like women of color, poor women had already been leaving the house, had to leave the house for work. But more and more women are leaving the house, are leaving that sort of nuclear family model and taking on sort of lives of their own design. And the crazy cat lady is clearly a way of denigrating women who have sort of domestic lives of their own making. In that same time period, sort of over the 80s and 90s, you see a real decline in the nuclear family. You have more all people, but you have more women living single, living unmarried till later years, or never getting married, living alone. And the idea of having pets is kind of a replacement for that sort of husband and children. You know, you hear now people talk about their sort of furry babies. All of that has become more predominant. And so because of that, the crazy cat lady, I think, makes more sense as you know, a cultural figure, whether that's a cultural figure that you're using to tear women and femme people down, or if you're sort of reclaiming it as a badge of honour. Are we starting to reclaim Cat Lady now? Are we turning the stereotype around a bit now and the fact that we are more accepting of women who decide to not have kids and not get married and live a solo life? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cat lady positive culture is very big on the internet. And yeah, I think there's definitely been a move to reclaim it. I think it's definitely part of the sort of general post 2000s kind of feminist move to sort of reclaim sexuality, but whatever your sex life or lack of sex life or intimate life wants to look like, right? I think it's the same people who are sort of against slut shaming are the same people who are saying, well, I want to stay in with my cat on a Friday night, and that's just as valid. It's interesting seeing when people reclaim the crazy cat lady, like what things they leave out. So I think there's still a desire to reclaim cat lady as sort of this like chic person who actually does have a lot of cats and has a clean home. There's, There's a way in which the cat lady can get wrapped into the whole like, you can have it all, right? Like, you can have a ton of cats and be a successful businesswoman. 
And I think that there's some ways in which that sort of excludes like, well, there are also people who are like, have a lot of cats because there are no shelters in their area. They're poor. They don't have a lot of space. And so they wind up trying to take care of a bunch of cats in a really tiny apartment. So I'm interested in the way that cat lady gets reclaimed and kind of who gets excluded from being a cool hip cat lady, right? Like, is the poor pet hoarder who lives in a tiny apartment, like, does she get to be part of that reclaiming? I don't know. Why is it that there's no cat man? Like, we see villains in movies obsessed with their cats, stroking the cat as they stare down their adversary or, you know, owning big cats. Why is there no cat man stereotype? You know, there's been a bit of a push in the whole, like, reclaiming cat lady thing. Like, there was a book that came out a couple years ago. It was, like, by a comedian. But it was called, like, Men Can Be Cat Ladies Too or something like that. And it just doesn't seem to stick, I think, partly just because misogyny is really strong. Even when you do see men sort of claiming online on social media, you see men being, like, look at my cat. The images of men with cats that get the most attention are sort of hyper-masculine men. You know, like, I'm on my motorcycle and here I've got my cat. So I think some of it is just who is still writing our cultural scripts and the persistence of misogyny. I think cats are associated with, like, spinsterhood, and there just isn't that same sort of category or figure for men, right? Like, you're still a bachelor, and so I don't know if the sort of bachelor with a bunch of cats has taken on yet. But I mean, yeah, the short answer is just patriarchy and misogyny. Look, not everyone loves a cat. They've copped a bad rap at times for being snobby and elitist, for not really loving people, rather tolerating them in order to get the creature comforts in life they've come to expect. There's even evidence that people avoid adopting black cats from shelters because they have the reputation of being unlucky. And there was some research doing the rounds a few years back explaining that parasites carried by cats may actually be infecting our brains, causing us to be crazy cat people for real. But self-confessed cat lover Madeline says she doesn't get why there's so much hate for her feline friends. This whole thing about people being anti-cat just doesn't sit well with me. You either like animals or you don't. You don't have cat people saying, oh my God, I hate dogs. They just prefer cats. But all the dog owners are so anti-cat and they're so aggressive in their approach that it just doesn't make sense. You like animals or you don't like animals. You're allowed to favour one over the other, but it's as simple as that. Jackson Galaxy, also known as the Cat Daddy, is a renowned cat behaviour and wellness expert, the host and executive producer of Animal Planet's long-running hit show My Cat from Hell and a two-time New York Times best-selling author with more than 25 years of experience working with cats and their guardians. Jackson, do cats even really love us? Of course they do. I think that whether it's a cat or a dog or a horse or a snake or... I have a, a chicken in my house. I know she likes me. I don't know how much, but I know she does. And I think that the human-animal relationship is something that I don't think anybody can dispute. I think the thing that we don't take into consideration is that cats are just not dogs because they don't serve up what I need on a silver platter. You know, And I think that that's, that's really where this all starts, is that cats speak a language that I don't think is immediately accessible to us, that we have to work a little bit to get there. And I just don't think a lot of people want to put that work in. But how do they actually show their love and affection? How do we know for sure 
the cats really do like humans. We know what it looks like when a dog loves us. Because, by the way, dogs were bred to love us, to look to us, to look to us for approval, to follow us. We breed them, you know, because there are certain characteristics we like. We even, and this was like something that wasn't even supposed to happen, but we wound up breeding sort of that eyebrow look into dogs just because we're like, oh, I get it. Eyebrows, you know. But with cats, we haven't done that kind of thing. And again, they retain a lot of their wild. But, you know, yeah, cats you know, if a cat comes to you, if a cat rubs up against you, if they purr, if they choose you to be with in any moment, if they play with you, cats will do things like they'll rub their whole body up against you, which in a way is that kind of like, oh, I own you human because it's leaving scent on you. You know, there are cats who, when they sort of cuddle up to you, they will do what's called smurgling or making biscuits or kneading or whatever. And that is something that is left over from early kittenhood. It's a way where they would do this to their mom's belly to get milk to come out. And they'll do that to us because we have occupied that role for them, that parental role, seeking attention, sitting there meowing at you. It's not all about food. It's also your attention. There's a lot of, a lot of ways. What do you say to people when they understand how much of a cat lover that you are who, like, really want you to know how much they dislike cats? Like, my brother will tell me he'd rather see any cat not alive than, you know, a cat in real life. What do you say to people when they say stuff like that? And in my experience, a good amount of the people who say they hate them actually had a really bad childhood experience with a cat. They got scratched. They got bit. They were kind of scared of them. And because of that, and coupled with just not understanding who they are, decided that hate was an easier thing. Thinking about why cats have made it with humans over these 10,000 years of our coexistence and done really well for themselves over all this time of being both in the wild and being on farms and being in houses and sort whatever, it's because they're exactly not what you're saying. They're not offensive animals. They're defensive animals. They know when not to pick a fight. And that's why they've lived this long. You know, if they are going to pick a fight, it's because they feel truly threatened. And granted, that'll happen, you know, and there's just a lack of understanding. You know, if a child gets bit or scratched, oftentimes it's because they don't have the motor coordination to not pull a tail, to not pull fur, to not corner them, you know, and a cornered cat goes into fight or flight a lot of times. You know, cats versus dogs, they're just not as domesticated. They're not as far down that evolutionary line. But that's part of what I think we are drawn to with cats is a little bit of wild. You are that animal that I feel like I've sort of kind of tamed, you know? That's part of it. But I think we have to understand the the responsibility that goes with that, which is respect the body language. Know the body language, respect it. And... Stop expecting them to be like dogs. Maybe the time for cat ladies to defend their stereotype is over. Perhaps it's really time for men who fear a woman who lives independently with an animal that may love you one minute and attempt to kill you the next to accept that times have changed and you're not the centre of the universe anymore. I know that the term crazy cat lady comes with negative connotations around being like lonely and no one wants you and you're a little bit of a weirdo, but I've always found it kind of endearing because I love my cats and I will wear the title of crazy cat lady loud and proud 
proud and I would rather end up in a house with 10 cats than with someone who doesn't make me happy. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Round. If you're after something else to listen to today, check out our pop culture podcast, The Spill. They dove into inventing Anna, you know, the Netflix series everyone's obsessed with right now, discussing behind-the-scenes moments and giving insight into why some characters did and didn't have the names of their real-life inspirations. Do you think it's interesting that they changed Jessica Pressler's name in the series to Vivian Kent, even though they kept so much of her story in, because they were really worried about people thinking that Vivian was some of her flaws was Jessica, like they really wanted to protect her. But with Rachel, not only had they used her full name in the series, they also used her same area that she lived in, her same backstory, the place that she worked. It's all completely her story, but it's definitely skewed that she comes out as the villain almost. From the outset, she's just painted as this kind of like opportunistic hanger on her, there for the good times, not so much the bad. I was obviously going to town like, they didn't even change her name, rah, rah, rah. And then I was like, oh, they also kept Neff's name and Casey's as well. That was probably strategic. Like, so they could say we kept Neff's name and Rachel's. We didn't just keep Rachel's. But the difference is that Neff and Casey come out of this looking quite good and our poor friend That's Rachel key does not. Find that Spill episode in your favourite podcast app right now. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.